financial services was built on transactional relationships. Mm. So, in other words, you sold somebody something. But what I'm finding with women in LGBT and small business owners is they want more collaboration. They want more conversation. The real planning is listening to their needs and saying, okay, how can we do that? So how we blow up the family is saying there is no fixed answer. Let's really try to help these individuals get to their goals. Welcome to Problem Performers, a podcast about professionals who challenge the status quo at work. I'm Rebecca Weaver, and yes, I too have been labeled a problem performer at least once or twice in my career. But looking back, I know where it is a badge of honor. In fact, all the most interesting people I know have earned this label at some point. In reality, these are the people who challenge their workplaces to be better and do better. I think we should all aspire to be problem performers in our work lives, because the only way to make real change is by shaking things up. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I am thrilled today to have Peggy Haslack joining me. She is a financial advisor with the Finity Group here in Seattle, which she joined as a career changer at the ripe young age of 53. She is a progressively pink financial planner who specializes in working with women and LGBTQ clients. She and her wife are heavily into dog agility and other sports with four border collies of their own. And this perspective comes in pretty handy in her work as she works with many veterinarians and dog handlers. I met Peggy before the pandemic through an amazing group called the F-Bomb Breakfast Club, which sadly no longer exists, but our friendship most definitely still does. So Peggy, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So Peggy, as I mentioned in your intro, you changed careers late in life. Will you tell us why did you become a financial advisor? Uh, well, uh, the last time we had any sort of an economic downturn, if you recall, was 2008, 2009. Um, and I lost my job. Uh, and here I was a, a 50, well, actually at the time I was 49 year old LGBT female making six figures. And I had to go out and find a new job. And a lot of the people that I talked to, uh, I started talking to some financial advisors about what to do with my retirement plan. And they all just wanted to talk to me about their money. And they didn't want to talk to me about my wife because she was a small business owner. We weren't married at the time. So I, I was having these conversations and just said, you know, there's really not anybody out there who I want to work with who can help me with that. So I started working with a financial advisor and she said, you know, why don't you do it? (laughs) So it was like, you know, if you can't find who you want to to help you, you know, become that person. That's right. You're building the solution for the problem that you yourself had. I love that. So you call yourself a progressively pink financial planner. Can you explain what that means? Yes, absolutely. Um, If you Google or if you go on... LinkedIn and you say financial advisor, they all have the same exact profile that you say something like wealth manager, high net worth clients, you know, it's, it's one of these things. And I feel that a lot of women and people who have the same values that I have being LGBT and, and, and in the workplace, uh, that turns them off. 
So I wanted to open the door to say, hey, you know what? If you feel you're a progressive, if you uh, are, you know, share a value of being LGBT or a woman business owner or a woman practice owner, then I want to talk to you uh, because I believe we have the same values. So I want to talk a little bit about what it's like and especially the financial implications for LGBTQ employees in the U.S. right now. Can you paint a picture for us of the landscape from your perspective and what some of the challenges are specific to this group? Uh, Probably the biggest challenge I see is, and and unfortunately it's getting worse, and that is um, that a majority of LGBT cover their identity at work. Even still. Even still. And actually now it's even gotten worse, especially in financial services um, and in those male dominated um, fields where you feel if you say, if you if you talk about your own situation, you know, then you will become marginalized or you'll become otherized in the workplace. So you have to be quiet about it. And, you know, I've gone into a meeting where they said, don't bring up the LGBT piece. Or, Peggy, you need to work with different clients. And what that tells you is, is that I'm not, you know, they're not, they don't value me uh, for who I am. So I'm afraid to bring my authentic self at work. Now, I feel lucky because I, I found a firm that allows me to do that, that empowers me to do that. But I know a number of people, um, especially um, uh, LGBT people of color, who, you know, it's like you can't you have to stay in this very narrow lane um, because you're afraid that you're going to offend somebody uh, who doesn't believe, you know, is against LGBT, uh, doesn't understand that community, judges that community. And just like every other stereotype and bias out there, there's definitely some things that play into the financial services world. It's really interesting. There's a lot of people who feel that LGBT women don't know how to handle money. Hmm. Where does that come from? That's a great question. And it's just something that, and I think a part of it is, is because you have people who, you know, are planning a lifestyle and because they don't come and talk about what their situations are, they're they're afraid to, to be honest about what their financial situation is for fear of being judged. We see even higher rates of discrimination for LGBTQ employees, um, especially those who are people of color, um, especially employees who are trans. Um, and, And I think it's so interesting. I would love to hear a bit more, especially as you're working with your clients. Are there some, of course there are, but can you tell us a little bit about some of the unique um challenges that LGBTQ employees employees or your clients, business owners, have to think through when they're doing their own financial planning? Like how how is that different and what are some of the unique challenges that this group faces? I think one of the most unique challenges is uh, the 
family dynamics that happen a lot of time in the LGBT. It's, so you have your work dynamics that happen and you also have your family dynamics. And when your family doesn't understand your situation um, or the, in many cases you're estranged from, estranged from your family, then it's, it, you feel it that, you know, I'm being discounted. Or uh, I'll give you an example. You know, when I worked once, I was up for a promotion. And there were three of us up for promotion. And there was a guy, a white guy, uh, myself, and another white female. And, you know, the guy got the promotion. And it was because he had a family to raise. And he was the breadwinner. And then the uh, on the next time it happened, this woman got it. And it's because she has a family and she's the caretaker and her husband is the income. And here I am like going, well, I have a family. Uh, you know, I have people to take care of. I have all this. And, it, and the same thing even happens with the family dynamics of planning. I've, it's had situation where uh, kids are not, you know, uh, included in wills or they're included, but it's discounted again because, you know, they're single or they don't have a traditional family when they're divvying out things like inheritances. So uh, a lot of this is more just feeling like there's, there's a value or feeling that somebody really understands their situation. Uh, and when you're dealing with some of these issues, transgender is huge uh, issues because there's a lot of keeping that out of keeping that world separate. Uh, and then also, too, I dealt with, uh, you know, a number of uh, gay, gay men in particular who have HIV. Uh, and how do you go through all those planning? Because you can't do the same plan. You know, you can't go out and say, OK, we're going to we need to get long term care or something because you have to go through the fact that you can't get that. Um, right. as easily. So you have to be more creative. In that in that world, and unfortunately, is there is there a really a big difference sometimes in that? But you know, the people who wrote the rules and financial services, it goes way back. It's very patriarchal, and and you know, <laughs> they were all written by uh, a lot of white men over the years, and a lot of that stuff still sticks in there. So you know, how do you get around that? I'm curious for your perspective, too, when we think about, um, you know, the legalization of gay marriage um, really in our history is very, very recent. How does that impact financial planning, retirement? You know, how, how, how is that issue affecting your clients with maybe a shorter timeline to plan? It, it actually, it, it's giving a lot more opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and probably one of the one that people don't realize that Social Security this year, finally, you know, you can have uh, uh, benefits for your spouse's spousal benefits in Social Security. That That's huge. Um, so, you know, we get to file married, file jointly. Hey, that you know, we get the benefit of that. So there a lot of these rules that were written were written around a traditional family. And now it's like, OK, we should have be able to have that benefit as well. We should be able to have the benefit for uh, health care. 
uh, we should be able to have, uh, you know, the benefit being able to do a joint and spouse policy if that's what we need, we want to do. So those those give us a lot more opportunities. Um, the other is in, in, that people don't understand in the world of insurance is what's called insurable interest. And in order to have a, a, a spouse be your beneficiary on a life insurance policy, you have to say that they have an insurable interest. Well, if you're not married, you don't have the same last name. Sometimes they, that was not accepted as an insurable interest. You say, what's your relationship? Well, this is my partner. That didn't work uh, for some of the companies. I think so much about how our definitions of family are changing. And this concept of the nuclear family is in and of itself. It is white privilege. It is patriarchal. It is you know, all of the things that we truly need to blow up. And this is such a great example. You're talking through so many examples of how we need to just fundamentally change the definitions of our family group. And that could be the number of people that we consider to be an immediate family. Um, You know, when I coach small businesses, for example, on their HR practices, we always talk about how um, bereavement leave, for example, and, you know, traditionally how we have defined, you know, immediate family and who we will cover in bereavement leave. Um, And I've pushed really hard for small businesses to think far beyond just our traditional, again, kind of white privileged um, definitions mm-hmm. of what family looks like. Absolutely. And, and you, if you look at it, well, maternal leave too, and family leave, yeah. those two are huge. And, and the going back to the whole thing, a lot in financial services was built on transactional relationships. Mm. So, in other words, you sold somebody something. And you made it, it, it's really easy to sell and get a deal that that falls into a certain mindset uh, of individuals. But what I'm finding with women and LGBT and small business owners, um, and this is why I ended up at the firm I'm at, is they want more collaboration. They want more conversation and they want more. So you're really, the real planning is, uh, and this is going to be the same with any family, is listening to their needs and saying, okay, how can we do that? So how we blow up the family is saying there is no um, fixed answer. Let's really try to help these individuals get to their goals. Um, and that goes all the way back to that, that thing on my LinkedIn uh profile of trying to stand out to say, hey, you know what? I want to hear your story. That's what is going to tell people, hey, you know what? We're interested in your story and what you want to do. How how are we going to get there? Um, So a lot of times I try to find that commonplace. uh, And that's one of the reasons why I also incorporate the dogs into the business, because it breaks down that barrier for a lot of people. And so now we're talking about dogs. We're not talking about, and people I, people I have, they spend a lot of money on dogs and they're always shamed for that. But it's easier to talk about that than it is to really talk about, you know, that the human part of it and the things that you're ashamed of, of you know, your, your personal situation um, and how you got yourself sometimes into the mess you got yourself into. And those are conversations that a lot of people don't want to have with, 
uh, somebody who isn't like them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wonder, you know, when we think about at HR Uprise, we talk about creating radically human workplaces, mm-hmm. right? And I wonder, can we get to the point where we're defining for people like their chosen family um, and we're supporting them in all of the ways that are meaningful to an employee um, that is that is their chosen family? Um, and that may be pet care coverage. It may be... Um, you know, in ensuring that we're defining family as loosely and, but more importantly, as specifically as our employees do, rather than, as you said, having a traditional definition of, of all of these concepts. Mm-hmm. We're getting there. And the, yeah, well, I should say we, there are a lot of organizations that are trying to do that. Um, but it seems like for every single one that is pushing forward, there are still those that are, you know, desperately trying to hold us back. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we have a situation in a number of places where you can't even talk about your, your, uh, you know, being LGBTQ. Uh, I, I, I'm so feel so sorry for teachers right now dealing with that environment that they're dealing with. And how do you do that? You know, how do you tell that to a family that, you know, um, and probably one of the biggest ones I'm dealing with a lot of my clients is, and I can't tell you how many times this has happened. I'll be sitting in a meeting and we'll be talking and somebody will make a comment. Uh, I, I was sitting in a seminar and they kept on talking about female financial advisors and their spouses. And they kept on calling them husbands. Uh-huh. Finally, somebody just, yeah, somebody stopped it and said, excuse me, could you do me a favor? Could you please stop calling them husbands? Could you call them spouse? Could you call them significant other? Could you call them partner? And I wasn't really, I was tuned out on the seminar and I realized that's why I tuned out. So I tuned back in and then that was, it was great. It absolutely did change the dynamics of the conversation. Well, what you're talking about, I mean, inclusive language makes mm-hmm. such a difference, um, right. you know? It, it, it makes a fundamental difference. It can make the difference for not just how we feel in a conversation, though that is really important, but also being inclusive in our thought process can literally mean money and finances and investments and, you know, defining all of these things that truly are life-changing for people down the road. You know, I think about inclusion in as you were talking about earlier, life insurance policies and um, or investments, retirement um, for couples. I mean, this is this is much more than just, you know, having politically correct language. Um, you know, this is truly a thought process that I want all business owners, regardless of the size of your organization, I want you to be thinking about this. This is so much more than just Oh, big company. So, you know, they have to talk about diversity and inclusion. No, this is fundamentally how we are operating with each other um, and how we are building our businesses that truly are the backbone of this this country. I think one apart one of the parts, you're absolutely right. Words are probably the most important uh, factor. Um, and unfortunately, sales, you talk about sales conversations and People will say, you know, uh, words that people use in that conversation, um, powwow, um, uh, you know, again, I've had situations where um, 
you know, even in a conversation where there is somebody who's transgender, where they keep on misgendering the individual. And sometimes I really wonder if they're doing it on purpose or if that is, and I've had that situation where it was done on purpose. Um, And it was, you know, you have to call them out on that. Um, Even simple things, using pronouns. I've had companies say, you can't use pronouns on your emails and your um, Facebook pages and your LinkedIn, you know, and it's like, why not? So you're, so you're telling us how we need to, um, or we're respecting individuals and by respecting them or find, we want to find out what we are doing that is making us more diverse and inclusive. People don't, um, I'll give another example. We had a, when I first started with the firm I was with, they had the, all the advisors listed by um, tenure with the firm. Well, the firm was started by seven white guys. So <laughs> they had across the screen, you had all these guys. And I met with somebody from FBOM and they said, I looked at your site. I think, yeah, I got to tell you something. It doesn't really look very diverse and inclusive. So I went back to the owner and said, what can we do? And they said, oh, we can put it in alphabetical order. Oh my God, the difference was huge. It was huge. But I will tell you that there are those firms that would say, nope, nope, we want to have those people be in the order of, uh, you know, seniority because they built this business. It's like, did they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just the concept of valuing tenure is a function of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it the fact that we think that that is more important than, you know, being able to highlight a, a diverse team as you're talking about, right? Um, that in and of itself is a, a factor. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so, I, all of these things matter. If I walk into an organization, whether I want to do business there, or maybe I'm considering working there, if I don't see anybody else who looks like me, I am automatically going into a mindset of, will I be the only? Will I be the other? And what is that going to look like? Is this truly, I mean, your first question, of course, is is this truly going to be a place that not just welcomes me, but is supportive? Um, Or will I have to, what will I have to endure? to get the job done or to complete this project or, you know, whatever it is. I, and so that is, that's the fundamental piece that I, that I want business owners to understand, you know, is that if I don't see other people who look like me, um, then what is that going to, you know, what, what does that mean? When I was working for one of the larger companies I've worked for, um, I worked in distribution and it is a very male dominated industry, um, supply chain distribution. And we were creating a, um, we, we couldn't figure out why we couldn't get enough women into leadership roles. Um, and the challenge was I talked to tons and tons of frontline supervisors and we had plenty of women at that level. It was just as you start to, to grow in the ranks, the numbers get fewer and fewer. And I talked to them and they would say, I don't see anybody who looks like me. It makes me wonder, will I ever be able to do, will I ever be able to do this job? You know, are there structures in place that will support what I need to support? Mm -hmm. And think about that from the client standpoint. 
if they don't see people like them, are they going to work with that company? And one of the things that I get a lot of times when I'm sitting in a meeting, I'll bring up a a comment, I'll hear that comment and I'll say something about uh, LGBT. And after the meeting, inevitably somebody will say, did I tell you that my son's gay? Or did I tell you that, you know, and they'll bring this out. Um, and this is in, often happens in financial services. So there's a lot of people in my, um, you know, in my that I work with on a daily basis that have covered this up for a long time. Now they finally have somebody that they can talk to that isn't going to judge them. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes when it does come up in conversations or you hear those words in your workplace and you go, oh, God, did they really just say that? Do they really just say that? And do they do they understand how that is cutting? It's those microaggressions. What do they say? It's a, a like a thousand cuts. Absolutely. And I hear it a lot. Um, once I was sitting in a conversation, I was on a Zoom call and, you know, I'm tall and I have short gray hair and I'm LGBT. And I had somebody ask me, uh, is that your real name? And I said, what do you mean? Is that your real name? And I said, well, actually, my real name is Margaret. Um, And then he goes, no, come on. It can't be your real name. And I sat back and I was like, what is that person getting at? I thought, oh, my God, I have a feeling he thought that I was transgender. And it was that judgment. You hear that. And he said that he said the quiet stuff out loud. but. And I, and I will tell you that, that even if you hadn't said that, you can sometimes tell by the inclusion in the conversation, how you're being addressed, the eye contact you get, all of that stuff is, that's that's welcoming. And if we can train people to, uh, to use the words, really engage and listen, then I think everything will be a better place. Peggy, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience um, shifting careers. And, you know, midway through a really successful career, um, tell me about that. Tell me about what that was like for you and the process you went through to, to do that. Thank you for that. That's, um, again, it was, um, I was working for 23 years in the health and fitness field. Um, as the organization I worked in was very forward thinking, that was one of the great things. And that's probably one of the reasons I felt, you know, it was very successful. Um, uh, when I first started there, uh, first got one of my management positions, I was sitting in my office and there was my boss was in the hallway, having a discussion with somebody. Uh, and it just so happens that we had quite a few LGBT. I mean, I met my wife there um, and uh, they one of the guy asked my boss, he goes, you know, how do you feel about having so many LGBT, you know, so many. And at the time we had so many lesbian women working for the company. And he goes, oh, my God, I love them. Hardest workers we have. And so, you know, it made me feel good. And that it was kind of that's the tone of that business. But it was interesting is what uh, caused the demise of the company. So the company was being sold to a hedge fund company who was going to clean it up and resell it. You know, that's that's the merger and acquisition piece that they do. So what do you do? You get rid of your liabilities, right? 
So you have a 49-year-old LGBT woman making six woman making six figures. And you know what? They tell you you gotta cut your liabilities. So if you look at the 52 people got laid off um, and they were laid off in waves, you can see how they structurally went through to kind of pad slide in all these uh, individuals who were like, you know, round one was the uh, the gay man who was in the uh, accounting department. You know, round two was the um a uh, woman who had a, a a workers' comp injury. Round three was me, you know, <laughs> and that's how they went through that. So when I um, went back to go look for a job in the industry, I, I I said I don't want to see that again. I don't want to work for an organization that uh, does that. And I felt very lucky not have to have been to learn what it was like to be on the better side of that. Uh, and so I achieved, I looked around to try to do this in this industry. And when my mentor said, hey, you know, you should become a financial advisor. I said, OK, well, I want some training. And I said, I'm going to go and join a place where I can get some training. And she goes, well, Peggy, I got to tell you, you have too many conflicts. Um, uh, and so uh, what I've learned to do is, first of all, is one, don't really talk about myself when I'm in this interview thing, and then try to find a common ground with the end of person I'm trying to talk to that is something that is really benign or not, you know, not divisive at all. And that's how I got myself in. So I went and interviewed at one of the big insurance companies, and it just so happened that the guy interviewing me played water polo. So when they did the assessment for me to be a financial advisor, I didn't do as well as a lot of people because they have those uh, standardized assessments for success in the industry. Um, well, of course, I, I have my practice designed a little bit different. I don't have to sell insurance. So but he goes, I'll take my chance on you because you played water polo. You know, and then, you know, another time it's a dog thing. Another time it's, you know, an age thing. Another time it's, you know, where I was born. So I tried to do that and focus on them. And that's how I was able to get into the industry. But what I found out was, yeah, they, you know, they, when I finally said, hey, you know, here I am, I'm an LGBT woman. This is who I want to do my practice with. They're like, sure, sure, go ahead. We'll let you do it. And I knew that the, um, uh, because I was kind of on the block a few times, I saw them, you know, say this to a lot of young advisors who were LGBT or women or, or people of color. And they say, sure, sure, sure. But the idea was eventually they're going to kind of push them into a place where they say, this is how you have to do it. So we'll let you do it our way until we can show you that, I mean, your way until we can show you that our way is better. And I was resistant to that the entire time. The problem was is um, a lot of other people weren't. And one of the things that I know I could do is I could get I could get into the room. But I know that there were a lot of people who couldn't get into the room for reasons other than, you know, their gender identity, uh, how they identify. But it was more towards if they're a person of color or if they were a young woman um, uh, and unfortunately, the way some of the young women were told they could advance was is, is what you would call an HR nightmare. 
So that was that was my transition. So now what I'm doing in the industry is trying to um, bring that up and say, this is how we need to bring people in. Let's value them for an individual and their skill set. And, you know, let's take a blind eye to the stuff that you would have brought up before. From an HR perspective, there's so much about your story that I want to dive into. <laughs> first, and, first and foremost, what you went through with the layoffs is almost textbook for exactly how these things work. And I can say that as someone who has conducted layoffs as the employer more times than I would like to count. Um, And what you're talking about, you know, yes, when you have a merger acquisition, you know, always come through and you cut your liabilities, which is a lovely um, euphemism for we're going to fire a bunch of people. A bunch of people are going to lose their jobs. And yeah, we like to start with the people who are making the most money, which in this system, most of the time means the people who have been with us the longest, right? Um, And also, if we're looking to um, fire someone, um, maybe it's for performance and we haven't really done it correctly, that's also a good time to like hide them in the overall layoffs as well, right? Um, So like that's just textbook employer practice and again something that we have got to we have got to completely blow up mm-hmm. it's obvious i mean it's dehumanizing we're defining all of the wrong things we're placing you know again this is how you get to a place where you have the ceo who makes you know a hundred a thousand or more times what your frontline worker makes. Um, and again, when you're going through layoffs, though, is it ever the CEO who's losing their job? Absolutely not, um, right? It's the lower level. In addition, very rarely is an executive leadership team ever going to cut their own positions because they're the ones who are making all of the decisions, right? Um, and by the way, if we're going purely by a numbers game, your executive leadership team are the ones who are making the most money within the organization. And yet very, very, very rarely are they ever involved. Okay. So that's my soapbox about layoffs. Well, you know, you also to to add to your soapbox, so I'm going to put a little more in there. And that is the protected classes and the people who, you know, we're going to get rid of the people who are going to sue us because you can easily fold them into, uh, you know, a group of 52. Then if you fire them on their own, especially if you don't have grounds, uh, you yeah. do that. But the other part is, is and this is part of the uh, the whole LGBT thing and, and, the, and the whole people of color, you know, the uh, if I speak up or speak out, they're just saying, you know, um, you're, you're just saying that because you're, you're gay or something like that. Plus, you also don't want to bring it up because you know that if you, if word gets out, that you are LGBT uh, and that you're a problem because you speak up. So oftentimes LGBT, if they speak up, they get marginalized. So then you have this reputation. Um, And I will tell you, uh, there is in the financial services world, especially there's this uh, be polite. Don't speak up, be polite. Women, be polite. Um, And it was... uh, I'll give you an example. There was 
there's a fiduciary duty. You want to work with somebody who has your best interest in mind. That's the duty of care. That's what we have to do as financial advisors. And um, so I put out, I put on a post on, on LinkedIn and I said, okay, if I'm a financial advisor and it's a fiduciary duty, do I um, share with uh, my client and I'm LGBT, you know, do I share my, with my client um, my values? Um, and if somebody, is that something you would share with somebody? And um, well, nobody responded to my question. <laughs> So I put it on another website, which is females and finance. And there I got the true people coming in telling me, and they were saying things like, no, I would never say that because um, you, you might offend somebody. Um, and I'm like, well, what about the client who is LGBT? Aren't you offending them? Um, well, because I think I can work with anybody. Well, that's great. You know, that's, it's kind of one of these things where it's like, I can I can, I can work with anybody, but you can't work with me, you know, type of a thing. Um, the other one, well, then this one really drove, drove me nuts is I don't think red or blue. I only think green. And I was like, okay, if you were my client or you are my financial advisor, I would be running. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's the equivalent of, you know, I don't see color. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. We have so much work to do. Um, you were talking about being labeled a problem performer, you know, someone who speaks up um, and then you get labeled that problem performer. That is literally the reason I titled this podcast Problem Performers, because I'm convinced that all the most interesting people I know have been labeled a problem performer, right? Because those are people who are who are shaking things up. So. Mm -hmm. So my question for you, Peggy, is have you ever been labeled a problem performer? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've been told <laughs> I've been told a couple of things. Well, one, I've been told I'm performing too well. I had once had a male, count, uh, male counterpart come to me and say, hey, you know, you're making us all look bad. <laughs> that's your problem it's right? <laughs> like oh, okay uh, uh but i and um I, I, again i think a lot of people are because i have stood up and because i have been um especially i'm you know I, I i entered this industry after a long career of management and a long career of doing this so when i say some a lot of times i think they'll bite they bite their tongue but um uh, there's a concept in our field where when and how a lot of advisors are trained, it's called fake, fake it till you make it, which drives me nuts. So, um, I, you know, here I am sitting on the DEI committee and I remember turning to uh, some of the leaders in the firm and saying to them, do you still have that policy, you know, fake it till you make it? And they're like, oh, yeah, of course, that's what we do. That's how we train everybody. And I said, well, can I ask you a question? And they're like, what? And I said, um, how does a 56-year-old LGBT female fake it? Who does she emulize? I never got the answer to the question. Ding, 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 ding. I love I, that. I uh, handed in my resignation letter. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. It, was like, it was like, I knew that, you know, it's just like you said, if they can't see it, who do we see? Yeah. So that's where uh, what I've decided is it's time to be uh, to amplify, to elevate, 
to uh, let people see that the, the other thing that happens in financial services, they put women on, they put people on islands and they don't mm-hmm. let you know that there are other financial advisors just like you. So you don't like, for example, or, or even in other fields, you don't refer to somebody to a, um, uh, a different, like a professional, like an estate planning attorney or a CPA or somebody like that, because they'll, they'll steal your client. But it's also, you know, especially if it's somebody who is, LGBT or, you know, uh, from other marginalized communities. So they kind of keep everything quiet. And then all of a sudden what's happening in the industry right now, and there is a lot of people that are taking this on um, uh, to change it, to change the narrative. And that is letting everybody know it's it. we're here. And not only we're here, we're, we're joining forces and we're letting the world know and we're telling you we're going to be on panels and we're going to be speaking and we're going to be um, uh, and we're going to work together on this, which is something you also don't do. You don't when you're a financial advisor, you're told not to put connect, you have connection with other financial advisors, especially somebody who has more tenure because they, they'll pick them over you. Mm-hmm. Peggy, you've <laughs> gone from you know, what you described as having to not not share anything about yourself, having to hide your own um, personality, your identity, you know, in entering this industry to I am here and I am going to be visible. I am going to be I'm going to be speaking my truth. And I absolutely love that. I think we need so many more problem performers just like that. (laughs) Um, We only have a couple minutes left. I would love to hear your perspective. What do employers need to do to be more supportive of their employees? What should they be thinking about from your perspective, especially from a financial planning perspective? What do employers need to do better? Listen. I'll, you know, listen, take an introspective um, uh, look at what you're trying to accomplish. And if, it, if, if you really want your business to do well and you really want to um, be serving, you know, a diverse population, which the money is there, the information is there. Um, one of the things since I started really focusing on DEI, I've had more referrals lately. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that people are looking for that. Um, and the diversity and inclusion, the numbers are huge about, you know, 78% of people want to work with companies that are diverse and inclusive. So listen to those because we do have a generation of young people coming up who um you know, are gender nonconforming, who really are questioning the system. So be be supportive to let people find their identities um, and and help them achieve their goals. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your perspective, for giving us um, so much to think about. Um, Peggy, where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? Well, we do. The Affinity Group does have a webpage and it's the Affinity. And it's not infinity. It's T-H-E-F-I-N-I-T-Y group 
LinkedIn.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn uh, and um, not doing as much Facebook. So LinkedIn is primary, primary place. I'm, on. I'm also on a couple of websites. There is one called Purse Strings, which is a, um, it's a collective group of uh, female professionals in financial services that work to try to educate uh, women. So there's, if you want all sorts of uh, dynamic women to help uh, and men who help uh, women in their practices, then that's a place to go as well. Another place you can find me is that we do have a chapter in Seattle of uh, the W Source, and that is a group of professional women who talk to women about their life changes and their, it, it's all about financial situations or money. Um, and they, when the women go through a life change, who do they go to, to get that help? And we put together a group of women um, in Seattle. Uh, and we have, we're with quite a few members of our chapter. We're also very, I would say, LGBT friendly. Uh, so uh, again, it is a resource for women to get help when they have some of these life changes, like losing a job or family member or whatever, uh, or getting a divorce that they have, uh, people they can talk to. Well, I can tell you from personal experience, Peggy is an amazing connector. Um, so definitely reach out to her, um, on all those places. We'll put links in the show notes for, so folks can find you really easily. Again, Peggy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Problem Performers is a production of HR Uprise Media, part of an organization built around a single question. What if you could have HR that works for you rather than your boss? Well, now you can with your own HR Uprise coach. Get affordable, confidential advice from an experienced HR pro who works only for you. Learn more at hruprise.com. And hey, employers, we've got you covered too. HR Uprise provides independent investigations, harassment prevention training, private employee coaching, and much more. Email us at hello at hruprise.com or visit our page at hruprise.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.